What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein. I am your friend, your host, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black. The last several episodes I have been whining, complaining, somewhat obliquely about the stress in my life, low these many weeks, and uh, the top, my topsy-turvy mood, I said I would report when I had anything to report, and it seems like now I finally have something to report. So last season, when we did Obscure Season 1, one of the surprising developments to me was how events in the podcast sort of overtook events in my life. And when, when I'm, I'm thinking specifically about my dog, Jack-Jack, who would co-host with me often, sitting here by my side in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, uh, generally contentedly. And then Jack-Jack ended up becoming part of the story in an unexpected way. Well, something similar, not dog-related in any way, is happening to me now. And I don't know how much actual reading I will get done in this episode. Uh, we are It's a nice place for an interregnum because Volume 2 has ended and we have not yet begun Volume 3. So this might be a kind of choice place to do a little interregnum episode. But I don't even know quite where to begin. But my story, I think, probably mirrors many of your stories because this is in a, a very uh, direct way the story of the last 18 months. You know, it is the story of 2020 
which began for me in November of 2019 when my friend John died. And then, and then everything sort of subsequently went to hell after that, not just locally, but obviously around the world. And we've all experienced this. And we've all understood the kind of national turmoil that has ensued. It has been rather remarkable. And it has manifested itself in all kinds of different ways for different people. So, you know, we built this house. The house that I live in and the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library was a construction from the ground up. And the reason we built this house was because in the last real estate crash, 2008, land was cheap in this area. And we thought, hey, maybe we should buy some land. And then one day, if if we're lucky, we'll build a house on it and it'll be fantastic. Oh, what a fantastic thing that will be. Uh, like, a, like a dream house, you know? Um, so we bought this land. We got a good deal on it. And I was making money. And at a certain point, a couple of years after we bought the land, I was sort of running the numbers. And I said to my dear wife, Martha, I said, dear wife, Martha, I think we could probably afford to build a house. And we met with some architects. And the architects all said, oh, yeah, you can afford to build a house. And what I didn't know at the time that I was meeting with them is that they were lying. They were lying to me. Because, I mean, they were probably very well-intentioned. But the fact of the matter is, once we started building the house, as so often happens in these circumstances, um, the budget grew and grew to the point where the house, delightful as it is, and it is a delightful house, became somewhat of a white elephant. And I'm not sure if I'm using that term correctly, nor do I care. But it's this, it's this sort of big thing that I have that I didn't think I'd ever be able to get rid of because I had sunk so much money into it in a town that had never recovered from the real estate crash. So the joke in my house, uh, and you know I live in the wilds of Connecticut, and there's a town just to the south of here called Norwalk, and Norwalk is okay. It's a little scuzzy around the edges, you know? But the joke in my house has been for the last seven years since we built this house, well, what's the worst thing that happens? We end up living in a two-bedroom apartment in Norwalk, okay? And in my mind, that might be the worst thing that could happen. I mean, obviously not really, but real estate-wise. Like, ugh, I don't want to fucking live in a two-bedroom apartment in Norwalk. That would be terrible. And it, it would ultimately be fine if that were the case. So as these seven years chugged along, the seven years since we built this house, what I've noticed, and you've heard me complaining about it constantly, is a slow and steady decline in my employability due to a number of factors, some of which are maybe in my control, some of which are not. Um, some of it has to do with aging. Some of it has to do with the changing political landscape in Hollywood, oddly enough, because, and believe me, I, I think this is a good thing, and I will say so at the beginning of this, and I will say so at the end of this. The casting for sidekicks, 
uh, supporting characters, wacky neighbors, gay friends, all of that, is not really going to middle-aged white guys anymore. Okay, the casting pool has has opened considerably and middle aged, you know, unexceptional white guys are kind of at the bottom of the casting list right now. And I said it's a good thing at the beginning and I'm going to say it at the end. That's a good thing. Okay, but it does have a direct effect on my employment prospects. Um and what are you going to do? You know, it's like it's like you can't cheer on progress on one hand and then bemoan when that progress may end up affecting you in ways that you hadn't anticipated. Well, that seems to be the case. Um, and in my new book, I talk about it. You know, and I talk about being a kind of me- mediocre white guy. And you know, I'm not. I'm not. I don't feel like I'm being particularly self-deprecating when I describe myself. That you know, there's a lot of guys like me out there. We're unexceptional. And uh, so my employment, you know, has not dwindled, but but shrank. And then COVID happened. And my entire industry shut down. For the last year and however long, Hollywood has basically been, you know, closed to, you know, I mean, productions are getting back up and that's terrific and everybody's thrilled. But I have remained unemployed. And it got to a point where we were burning through our savings. And I said to my dear wifey, dear wifey, I don't know that we can afford to live in this house anymore. Concurrent with that, as you probably know, wherever you are, the real estate market has been going haywire. Markets as bizarre as Buffalo, New York, and Bangor, Maine, and Waseca, Minnesota. Every market has somehow been going nutso because the whole population of the nation is kind of circulating around in a giant eddy. Everybody's sort of moving from place to place to place, or at least thinking about moving, or maybe thinking about selling their house, or maybe thinking about buying a house. The nature of, of work itself is changing. Like, everything is very up in the air, and the real estate market has been the bizarre recipient of the pandemic. Okay? So my little town here in the wilds of Connecticut, which had been in a real estate slump since 2008, is suddenly a hot market because apparently every market is a hot market. And what was once unimaginable suddenly became imaginable, namely that we could get the money that we put into our house out of our house. And if that happened, that could go a long way towards alleviating the financial pressure that I've been under because I haven't been able to make enough money to keep the house. You understand. That has been a stressful thing, trying to understand how I don't end up in a two-bedroom apartment in Norwalk. My dear wifey saw a listing in, or a friend sent her a listing of a local property. And the local property was renting at some fee that we thought was high. And she said, well, if that house is getting that fee for what, for what they've got, maybe we could rent our house for a similar fee and, I don't know, do something with our lives that is different than what we're doing. And I said, uh, you know, call the lady, meaning call the real estate lady who had, had the listing. And uh, she said, you call the lady. So I called the lady. 
And I said, lady, lady, I said, lady, uh, do you want to meet with us to talk about our house? She said, sure. So the lady came over, nice lady. And we said, we're thinking about renting the house. She, she said, have you thought about selling the house? And we said, oh, I don't think we could do that. I mean, maybe we could, but it's our dream house. How could we? She says, what's a number that you would sell this house at? And I said, and we, you know, we kind of gave her a, a number that we thought was high. She said, well, what, what if we tested the waters with that? And I said, uh, I said, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I guess. We're not, you know, like, we wouldn't be committed. Like, let's see what kind of what the market would bear hypothetically. But please don't like list it. Like, you know, there's a way that you could list it without listing it. She said we could keep it in-house, basically. Like, we'd put a little private thing up there and, you, you know, within the company that says you're keeping your, you're listing your house, but you're, but it's not going wide. It's not on the MLS listings, which are the big, you know, real estate listings that everybody knows from Zillow. So we said, all right, let's try that. Just to see, just to see. About five days later, she calls and says, I, I have somebody who wants to look at your house. Can they look at your house? Sure. So my wife and my daughter are away. Me and my son, we go, we get some barbecue for lunch. We bring the dogs. They're freaking out in the back of the car while we eat barbecue. It's very upsetting for them. And when we get done, or when the people have finished looking at the house, we get a call from the lady. Hey, lady. She says, they loved your house. They're going to make an offer on it. And I said, oh, no, that's terrible. And, but, she, in, but in my experience, when somebody makes an offer on your house, what they do is like, let's say you list the house for $100. They say, I'll give you $80 for that house. And you say, well, what about $93? And, you know, and then you go from there. So the offer comes in unexpectedly $75,000 above what we had asked for the house as a kind of optimistic number for the house. And now I'm a Twitter not in a good way. I'm a flutter, not in a good way. And Martha, dear wifey, is flipping the fuck out because she doesn't want to sell this house. I don't want to sell this house. Neither of us want to sell this house. We love this house, but we're in a situation. And the situation is right now, we don't have to sell the house, but in six months, we may have to sell the house. And now suddenly we've got a bird in the hand type thing. And We've got these people who are saying, we'll give you more money than you asked. And, you know, so suddenly we start thinking, well, gee, maybe we should go to Los Angeles because, you know, that could be good for my career and my daughter's going to be going to college in Los Angeles and we've got friends in Los Angeles and it could be a nice thing. And as it happens, they, my wife and daughter were heading out there anyway to look at colleges because my wife, my daughter had narrowed it down to two colleges. She thought, you know, let me see these colleges before I commit. Fair enough. That's what we want you to do. They were already scheduled to go out there, and we thought, man, maybe when when uh, maybe when they go out, we'll you know we'll get an idea. And I said to the lady, the real estate lady, I said, hey, lady, hey, lady. I think the first thing we said was, I don't think we can. I don't think we're ready to sell it. You know, before like the LA thing happened. I'm I'm sort of mixing up my chronology here. I don't think we're ready to sell it. She said, well, what would it take for you to sell? the house. And we're like, geez, are you kidding? Like we gave you an optimistic number. We'll give you a crazy optimistic number. So she said, okay. So she went back to their people and their people came back and, and, and added a lot more money to their original already strong offer. And now that's when the LA conversation happened. 
So we're flipping out, my wife and I, because we have studiously avoided Los Angeles for 20 years to raise our children. And then we start thinking, well, maybe it would be all right. You know, maybe it would be nice. You know, it's a new part in our lives and a new chapter and we'll be with friends, et cetera, et cetera. We, so they go out there. And while they're out there, they're going to look at houses that are, we think, affordable for us based on what we could take out of this house and not have to put into a large new mortgage because the whole point is to reduce expenses. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Los Angeles real estate market and as it is uh, currently construed because the narrative in the news is that people are fleeing California. Everybody's fleeing California. Well, apparently they didn't get the memo in Los Angeles because the Los Angeles real estate market right now is fucking insane. And the shit that my wife went to see in Los Angeles, that was not inexpensive shit by any reasonable estimation of what expensive and inexpensive constitute. You know, it it was not, these were not homes that were worth living in. And so she was despondent upon her visit to Los Angeles. I was of continuing to freak out and despondent because if we weren't going to sell this house, what were we going to do? Because unless something changes in my life, I, I'm going to get, I'm going to end up in a two bedroom apartment in Norwalk. So I'm going to take a little break and I will tell you what happened back in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Obscure, telling the thrilling tale of my last several weeks, my last several, gosh, six stressful weeks here in the wilds 
of Connecticut. We have pondered a move to Los Angeles. We have gone so far as to tell people, a few people, we're moving to Los Angeles. My wife had gone to Los Angeles. She had looked at houses and she had declared, we are not moving to Los Angeles. And therefore, we're not going to move because where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And I'm turning over in my head the very real possibility that we will be forced to move uh, within the year. Okay. So the next thing that happens is I, and my wife is like, put it to bed. Stop it. We're not doing this anymore. We're not looking at houses. We're not thinking about houses. And you're not selling this house. I'm like, okay. Okay. And I mean it. Like, I mean it. I'm like, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we're just going to, we'll figure it out. Somehow we'll figure it out. We'll get, we'll, I'll get work. It'll all be fine. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, but I can't turn off my brain because I'm in a panic. I, I'm, I'm just frazzled from the stress and worry of, and the possibility that we could sell this house for a good amount of money. And the buyers that had expressed interest in buying this house, you know, we'd said, you know what, we can't do it right now. We're just, it's just too much. It's too fast. They haven't gone away. They're still kind of like out there and maybe they'll still want to buy this house. So I'm like visiting, I'm like going, I'm going on like house tours of like nearby houses and I'm like driving 45 minutes an hour to like an open house somewhere to look at a cool like mid-century modern house. And I'm like, hey, we could live here and it's, it's cheaper and blah, 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 blah. So a house comes on the market in the town next door to mine that is, and it's been, it's actually been on the market and it's very different from our house. Our house is very modern. This is from like, ah, I guess like the late 1800s. It's a, it's a sort of old rambler. And there's some appeal to that, you know, because like if you're not going to, if you're going to move when nobody's saying we're going to move, believe me, that's the last thing I'm saying to my wife. We're not going to move. I don't know. We're not, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. We're not moving to wifey. But she says, yeah, it's kind of a cool house. Maybe we should take a look at it. And, and, and what's appealing about it is that it's a very different kind of house. It could be a fun project. It's cheaper. And it's in a town right next door to ours. And you know I live in the wilds of Connecticut. And when I say the wilds, it's the woods. There's no place to go here. But in the town next door, it's like a walkable little town with a main street. And you can, you know, walk your doggies and get ice creams and, you know, do whatever you want, want to do. And it's a, it's a little more suburban as opposed to exurban which is how I live right now. And we look at the house and it's garbage. I mean, it's not garbage, but it's just too much. It's, it's not possible for us to do it and put in the kind of work that we would have to do uh, to get it to our the way we would want to live. But after that, I get to thinking, well, hey, maybe this idea of living in a kind of walkable place isn't so far-fetched and so bad. Like maybe there's like a, a walkable small city that we could move to. Because if we're not moving to Los Angeles, why can't we live anywhere? Can't we live anywhere? You know, for years, the thought, the, the reason for Connecticut had been because of its proximity to New York. And like, you either need to be close to New York or you need to be in LA. And, but the truth of the matter is like, I don't work in New York. I don't work anywhere. I mean, that's, that's the real truth of the matter. I don't work anywhere. So I start Googling, <laughs> as you do, when you think to yourself, hey, I could live anywhere. What are the best small cities in America? And, you know, there's a list. There's a, you know, New Mexico, like Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I don't know. But I mean, and don't get me wrong. Did I, did I Zillow uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico? You bet your sweet ass I did. You know I was looking at houses in Albuquerque, New Mexico until two o'clock in the morning one night. We're not going to Albuquerque, New Mexico. But then 
on that list is a small city that I'm somewhat familiar with because my son goes to college there. And that is Savannah, Georgia. And as I'm doing, I'm going down the list and looking at cities. And one of the things that strikes you if you've ever been to Savannah is that it's, a, it's an absolutely lovely city. Just gorgeous. But it's in Georgia. And, you know, that's the South. I don't know if you know this, but that's the South. And the thought of me going to the South is somewhat inconceivable. Nevertheless, I persisted. So I'm Googling houses, and I see this house, and it was built in like 1867, and it's on this corner lot, and it's, you know, it's made out of brick. It's like, it couldn't be more different than the house that I live in now, but my thoughts are returning to that house that we looked at in the town next to mine, and I'm thinking, well, maybe that would be fun, you know? Maybe it would be fun to live in something totally different. And I show it to my dear wifey. I say, what do you think about this house? And she's like, Savannah, are you crazy? I'm like, I don't know. We like Savannah. She's like, yeah, but it's the South. We can't move to the South. I'm like, I know. We can't move to the South. And then we're like, well, why can't we move to the South? (laughs) Because you can't. I'm like, but Savannah's liberal. You know, Savannah's artsy. Um, And George is kind of turning purple. Maybe, maybe we could move to the South. Maybe we could move to Savannah. She's like, you hate it. It's so hot. I'm like, I would hate the, I would hate the heat. But, but what if I never go outside? <laughs> what if I just stay inside? <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm not sure if that, I'm not sure if that, if that, if that comports with the walkable city idea. But so she, we look at, we look at pictures of this house online. She's like, hey, you know what? It's really nice, but I don't know. So there's a lady, another lady who you can contact, and she'll give you a virtual tour of the house. So Martha says, call the lady. So I call the lady. Hey, lady. I'm like, can we get a virtual tour of this house? She says, sure. The next day, gosh, I feel like it was a week ago today. She takes us on a virtual tour of this house. And within about three or four minutes of us looking at that house, like I look at Martha, she looks at me, and we're both like, shit, I really like this house. And when we get off the video tour, we say to the lady, hey, lady, I think we're going to buy this house. She goes, great. I mean, she's not as excited about it as we are. We're running numbers. We're doing budgets. We make an offer, a lot of back and forth. The offer is accepted. But we still haven't seen the house in person. So it's sort of like, well, I don't know that we're really going to buy this house we haven't seen in person. Like, we got to see it, you know, before we get into a real contract. Two days ago, we got on an airplane. We fly to Savannah, Georgia to look at this house. And we are all a Twitter, a flutter. We get there the night before. We're going to meet the next morning. We walk from our hotel down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. Um, And if you've never been to Savannah, Georgia, there's some things to know about it. The first thing is, it's gorgeous. You know, at least like... There's the touristy historic downtown area, and that is, there's a, there's a section of it by the river that is basically 90% bachelorette parties. Like the population from, from any given Friday through any given Sunday is 90% bachelorette party and 80% bride. So there's, it's not just bachelorettes, it's also brides and then a smattering of other tourists. So I know that equals 100 and, you know, 80% or whatever, but that's what it is. But then as you get in a little bit into the loveliness, um, 
it is one of the most gorgeous cities in America. If you've ever been to Gramercy Park in New York City, it's a square in the middle of the city that has like a, a, a park in it that you have to be a resident to have a key to it. And it's this gorgeous park. Savannah is like if there were 23 Gramercy Parks spread out all across the city and they're all open to the public, plus a mini central park, right? Sort of in that area too. Huge live oak trees with Spanish moss and all kinds of plantings. And it's just, it's, and, and just gorgeous architecture. That's where this house is located in this area. And so that night when we get in, we walk from our hotel to, you know, through the parks and through all the architecture and through the bachelorettes. And, um, you know, we just sort of look at it and we're like, ah, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's nice. I don't know. You know, we both have trouble sleeping. I'm up at 4.30 in the morning, like a shot. We have breakfast in that gorgeous park with the lady, our new lady. She takes us out to breakfast. Gorgeous, gorgeous day. I have avocado toast. Then we walk, then we drive over to the house. I would have walked, but the lady, you know, she's a real estate lady. She likes to drive everywhere. We drive over to the house. My dear wifey, who has been in a, in a misery for the last however many weeks, is smiling from year to year. She loves this place. And I think I love this place too. And somehow I have purchased a house in Savannah, Georgia. I have become a Georgianologist. In actuality, how is that possible? That the jokes I have been making about sipping mint juleps and having some cobbler out on the porch are in fact going to be my life in a matter of months. I have a porch now. I have a front porch, a gorgeous big old front porch with rocking chairs and the like. And I am going to be broadcasting the, probably the final episodes of Obscure as your Georgianologist from Georgia. How is such a thing possible? I don't know. But it is. So that's what has been keeping me up for the last six weeks. That has been my existence for the last six weeks, trying to figure out what the next stage of my life is going to be. It has been so draining and awful and scary. And it has led to an unexpected place. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun for us as we empty nesters begin this new part of our lives together. My wife has said, how long do you think it will be before I start saying y'all? Because she is zealot-like in the way that she adopts other people's accents when she's talking to them. I said it will take about 20 minutes. And if I start saying y'all without irony, you can feel free to smack me when you see me. Yeah, it's a, it's a damned thing. It's a damned thing that I never thought would happen to me, that I would be <laughs> moving to Georgia. <laughs> but I am, and I'm excited about it. And um, that has been the story of my last six weeks or so. So, yeah, I promised I would tell you. I done told you. That's what has been going on with me. No reading got done. It has been an interregnum episode. We will continue the book 
Next week, it's going to be several months, three months or so, before I actually do the move. So I will be continuing to broadcast from the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, uh, Northern Outpost. So that's it. I mean, looking forward to talking to you next time on another, what, uh, purple Stacey Abrams-inspired episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu.